Uh, hello, welcome to uh, Pig Ignorant Gamers. I'm doing an interview with the lovely Dan Marshall uh, this morning, who has agreed to get up at eight o'clock and do an interview. Uh, but we've actually been chatting for about five minutes, so I'll probably cut this bit out. But then I won't cut it out because I think, well, I want to explain. What, oh, I forgot. Anyway, Dan Marshall. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Um, yeah, so you, uh, now these are hardball questions, as you point out. Um, don't think it's going to be any kind of soft soak, you know, easy interview because I've got, okay. the, I've got the questions that people want to know. Yeah, okay. uh, Good, because I'm tired of answering the same old damn questions about who I am and what I do. Okay, well, okay, right, oh. <laughs> it's like question one. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was going to ask, number one, why are you so lovely, Dan? Because cause the last, the, really, the last sort of time I communicated with you, it was when you were sort of setting up like a, effectively like the indie fun thing. Um, basically, it was using the sales of jibbage, I think it was. Yeah. It was back when time. I did my old podcast. Um, and, and you were, you were trying to give something back. And obviously then John Blow stole that idea and made yeah, it a success. So um, the job with that whole era was I was doing stuff like before there was the wait. The, the, before there was like that critical mass of indies behind it, right? Yeah. I, that was a, it was basically I was you know I was making I was selling a, an indie game kind of before, um, you know indie games were really big in a, in a way, right? This was back in two that this was back in two thousand six, and it seems stupid, but like back in those days, I got press coverage for uh, for Jibbage because I had made a game on my own. Right. And that was, and that was like, and it was like, that was, that was the headline was man makes game on his own in bedroom. Jesus Christ. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. And, um, and that was it. And, uh, so you can't imagine that happening anymore. Right. That's just, that's not even, that's yeah. not even vaguely news. That's just like the de facto thing. And one of the things I started doing was I was selling, um, I was selling games through my website. And the idea was that, um, the cut that, uh, I got, would basically just be packaged up to um, uh, give to indie developers to help them out with some with some cash or whatever. So uh, and people would vote on which which game got the cash. So I was you know I was making I was making money as an affiliate through selling the games, and then all that cash would basically go. And you know the idea was it would hopefully pay for someone to get you know a better artist or a, or a composer or to do some professional music and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and I think I think Euphoria got the money in the end. I can't remember. Oh, I, you know, it only went for it sort of sort of basically ran for one season, and then I think they got about three hundred quid, and that was it. They, you know, there wasn't there wasn't the there wasn't the cash, but there wasn't the number of people buying indie games in those days. You know, Steam barely existed, but certainly not in a in a way that meant um, indie indie games were on it. Right? It was one of those. It was one of those things that. Um, it was a lovely idea, but yeah, um, yeah, and like I said, it was, I mean, too, it was too early for it. That's all. It was too early. But that's exactly sort. Of, it's, it's exactly the thing that you know Jonathan Blow etc. kind of did with their their fund thing. Um, so so really, they did. You they just stole, stole that. Say it, say they it, they say stole it. What it is. Stole. They stole the idea. They stole it and they did it better. And they, I presumably, there's a royalty check on its way to me for the idea. I don't know. I, I imagine now that this is going public to to <laughs> lit, literally people. Um, that this will, you know, this is going to blow up on Eurogamer and everything. This story, so. and that's something like now you get press on Eurogamer. I mean, back in back in those days, the idea of press was basically getting on Game Tunnel. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember Game I mean, Tunnel? I was I said someone the other day. You know, when Time Gentleman Please came out, I mean, Jibbage was a good example because that was um, man makes game on his own was a story, and then uh, uh, Time Gentleman Please was like a similar one because that was, um, uh, you know, it's. To be fair, it's a fairly crappy looking, deliberately crappy looking, but crappy looking uh, point and click adventure game. And when that got on Steam, 
um, that was kind of a boom. That was kind of um, not a lot of in, not a lot of indie games were on Steam. Like in even even that was two thousand and nine, so it's not even that long ago. You can mm. see how much things have changed. But like that was headline news for um, for Time Gentleman Please was game gets on Steam. <laughs> it's just equally insane. I've basically been ahead of the curve my entire career, haven't I? That's what that's what I say. Yeah, you've been blazing a trail. I have. I hadn't realised how influential I am. Okay, so this is the first really hardball question. Uh, why is The Swindle, a game about burglary, called The Swindle, when swindling generally refers to fraudulent schemes or depriving people or money or goods through deception? Yeah, I know. And the thing was, um, basically, The Swindle, I announced The Swindle back in 2011, I think, or two, uh, 2010, 2011. Right. Um, and the reason I announced it the first in the first place was because um, I was going to develop the develop conference down in Brighton, and I didn't want to be that bloke who was standing there saying, oh, I can't really talk about what I'm working on at the moment, I can't really talk about it, because I hadn't announced it, I hadn't you know, uh, done anything proper about it. So I announced the game so that I could talk to people at Develop about it, so I could talk to journalists about it and all that sort of stuff, and um, very hastily picked a name, I think. It was, it was a case of finding something that sounded kind of steampunky and kind of suitable. Um, and now I'm in the position where the game kind of, I'm sort of, I sort of feel a little bit like I'm crowbarring a swindle into the swindle a little bit at the end. Right. So that, um, it kind of, it sort of makes sense with the plot. But um, yeah, there is a, there is a, there is currently a swindle of some sorts at the end. Oh, okay. Uh, so it does actually make sense. It is and building I, I, a swindle. I'm kind of hoping if I just call it a swindle all the way through. Then people won't have a choice but to accept that it is a swindle. <laughs> so, is this like you trying to redefine words? Like, literally, now also means means these very literally. opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically it. So. I, when um, when we did Ben there, Dan that, I uh, one of the one of the very early um, ideas for Ben there, Dan that, the plot ideas was that um, it was called Ron Gilbert's Gone Rilbert because we liked the, the idea of that name and. and um, it was about Ron Gilbert having gone crazy and trying to take over the world and stuff. Yeah. And uh, but Rilbert isn't a real word. We were kind of so we, so we spent some time on um, UrbanDictionary.com trying to sort of <laughs> <laughs> trying to trying to convince the world that Rilbert meant someone who's gone crazy. Oh man, he's gone totally Rilbert. Um, but they wouldn't accept it, so we had to come up with some other stupid idea instead. That's so, a sort of that's a sort of stupid thing indie developers do, right? <laughs> absolutely, because they have the spare time. I just realised that in, effectively you're trying to swindle the world out of the true definition of the word swindle. Yeah, no, I was kind of hoping. I, I did actually spend some time sitting there thinking, if there wasn't a swindle in this game, that would be the biggest swindle of all. Oh, that's <laughs> even better. <laughs> yeah, that's just awful. I can't do that. <laughs> I think you should do that now. Although you kind of <laughs> kind of given the game away. Um, it's like, you know, it's like Alanis Morissette's ironic. Doesn't have anything ironic in it. Yeah, that is ironic. <laughs> you know, oh, so I see, yeah. it'll be a bit like that. Yeah, which actually now, when now that you mentioned the Alanis Morissette thing, that is bullshit. So best, <laughs> best not to do that. Um, now I know you aren't ready to announce uh, platforms, uh, but will you exclusively reveal that the game is coming to PC? I'd be very surprised if it doesn't come to PC. Okay, I, that's it's one of these weird things that, like, um, I deliberately didn't announced platforms because I sort of felt a little bit with the swindle that I'd because it's been developed so long and it's changed so much you know well it's changed visually but it's you know the core gameplay is the same but it's changed so much over the last four years that I sort of didn't want to be all sort of oh it's coming to this and then later later on go 
Oh, it's not. Because there's there's boring, complicated, businessy things to do in, in terms of what platforms you bring it to. I don't I didn't want to say, Oh yeah, it's coming to Sony, oh it's coming to Xbox or whatever. And then, you know, three months down the line have them have them go, No. Yeah. <laughs> you know you can't come on up. So but you know, and I similarly I didn't want to have them, you know, suddenly say to me, Yeah, you can put it on our platform but you you know that means you can't have a Steam version and all that sort of stuff. So I didn't really know. I did, I didn't really know at the time. Still don't really know. But I'd be very surprised if it doesn't come to Steam. It's you know, it's the build that exists currently as a Steam version. So that's right. what I'm working towards. Yeah, I think that's that's a very sensible policy because the amount of Kickstarters you see where they say yeah, oh, I know, and I don't know how they've done that. It's like some some little game. They go, yeah, we'll put it on PS4, and you go, yeah. how can you possibly say that? Or oh, no, no, Wii, oh, no. Wii U as well, which is even more of a closed shot. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll do if, a stretch goal. If we get, if we hit like two hundred fifty thousand, we'll do a PlayStation Four version. And, and they, yeah, they can't all have contacted Sony and said, "Is this all right? Yeah. Will this definitely happen?" Because presumably, Sony still have some some right to to say no. Well, I, I, I would imagine all the rights, and especially when you look at some of these games on Kickstarter, they they can't find their ass with their elbows. Um, <laughs> or no, they don't know their ass from their elbows. That's yeah. it. But they definitely it's couldn't. Too early, but it's too early for it. That's it. I, I did just try physically to touch my ass with my elbow, and it's impossible. <laughs> is that your? It's like an aid memoir. It's like, yeah. If you can do it, then it's a ass to elbow. Yeah, that's yeah. an actual thing. Um, okay, so uh, I read in your press notes that despite containing fun elements, the old version didn't work as a whole. Because I mean, this is the the main thing is that you you kind of you temporarily shit canned the old version. And yeah, then you, yeah, you've just brought it back, and that's kind of the story. Um, so, I mean, was it a ground-up rewrite, or have you been able to report over some of the elements which did work? Uh, it's basically, I, it's basically ground-up rewrite. It's, um, you know, there are some bits of code that it's stupid to rewrite, so you just sort of copy and paste them across, right? But um, the core engine is completely different. The stuff that worked, the stuff that was really good and is still in there and has been in there since day one, is the sort of um, breaking into a building, hacking computers, avoiding guards. You know, clobbering them on the back of the head, smashing through windows, rigging bombs, all that sort of stuff um, is has been the core gameplay for for this entire time, right? It's it's in look and play and feel, it's striking how similar the new version is to all the old versions. Um, the thing that's different is the the the, the levels are procedurally generated, which is um, a big change in terms of how the game. Uh, feels right. Yeah. So, the, so, the, the, so the, the other versions. Basically, the idea was that I, hand, I was hand building the levels, right? So I was hand building. Okay, here's a here's someone's house. Here's a casino. Here's a warehouse. Whatever. Um, and the idea was you would go back to the same locations and they would change over time. So um, if you broke in through, if you broke into the casino, for example, through the sewers and up through the furnace and in you know up through the floor. Next time you went back there, the AI director would. Um, Increase security in that area, right? So they put in extra security cameras or they put in extra security guards or reinforce the windows and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that will force you basically next time you went in to sort of rethink and, okay, I can't, I can't sort of, you know, it's harder to go in that way. I'm going to have to find another route in and all this sort of stuff. Um, and it's one of those, it's one of these weird things that sounds fun, but sort of wasn't. It just didn't work. It, you know, you basically, you just wouldn't go in through that way again. It was, it was basically pointless. <laughs> A little bit, you know. All right, so after sort of um, 10, 15 times going back to the same location, you'd find yourself, uh, you know, with a very slim 
set of options and that wasn't fun right that wasn't a an yeah. interesting way to be doing swindles so um i think on the whole that's one of the main reasons it it wasn't working like the the core gameplay was fun but the but the way it was dealing with levels wasn't mm. um and the other thing was the was the guards were um were human in the other version and um the trouble i've learned with human guards is that they are expensive in that um you expect them to uh uh hear sounds and see you and chase after you and um you know if i you know if i've if i've run away and gone up a lift and up a staircase and round the corner why haven't they followed me sort of thing and that sort of ai is actually exceptionally expensive to mm. sort of get working nicely and get working consistently so the other thing that changed was um that the guards are all now robots which have kind of predictable um patterns so they're all they're all different but you know so the first guards you come across are obviously sort of goomba sort of just lefty righty sort of idiot you know typical standard idiot platform baddies but it makes them so much more fun to deal with because they are predictable so you know you fit you've got this sort of power over them in uh, in their predictability and those two things um have just massively changed how much fun all the other stuff that was already fun is so so like it's now much more fun to run around clobbering guards on the back of head rigging bombs smashing through windows and all that sort of stuff because of those two core changes that's very interesting because i i find that often when i'm designing a game which i will never finish um because i do that a lot um it is it is kind of like oh i'm this is my ai is going to be better than all the rest and they're going to change it <laughs> it's like oh that yeah that isn't actually as much fun um, yeah yeah it's weird it's it's one of these things that um you know you sort of you sort of think that video games striving for realistic ai will be will be will intrinsically make the game more fun to play but it really doesn't hmm. you know it's you you sort of need that um power over stupidity it's one of, it's like in a similar way like the one of the early versions of the swindle had this um system in place for how visible you were when you were breaking into buildings so if you're standing underneath the light you were completely visible right because obviously you're completely lit up if you're standing outside the light there was there was a sort of full day night cycle in the game that um uh so you could go in at dawn you could go in at dusk you could go in in the middle of the day you could go in at night time you know and and the light level was variable and all that sort of stuff and um it's one of those things that sounds like it should be quite cool because it's it's sort of simulation right you you if you go in at dawn you're sort of kind of visible but the guards are slightly more drowsy and sleepy and all this sort of stuff um it and it had that sort of similar slight simulation sort of feel to it about um how you how you how you pull off these heists in like in very different circumstances hmm. and actually um it was just kind of annoying because you're sort of standing sort of near a light and a guard can sort of see you but the sun's gone up slightly more in the last sort of three minutes so you can see slightly further and uh it was just it was just another one of those things actually this is just a little bit frustrating yeah um, so, now, so now the guards can either see you or they can't they've got like a very defined vision cone it's like a binary you yes. can be yeah, yeah, yeah. other than this sliding scale of um visibility that was kind of always difficult it was always really difficult to get across to the player how visible you were that's um, i mean that's one of the problems like with the hitman series where they'll be like the yeah, suspicion exactly. bar Oh, or okay. anything like not even Hitman, like even like Shadow of Mordor or Alien Isolation and all that sort of stuff. You sort of, um, you know, you're hiding 
from an orc and you're sort of you, you you can see him quite clearly and he's still standing there doing his idle animation mm. and you sort of think can he see me is he going to suddenly kick in and see me and you've got no idea right it's a it's this really weird thing mm. just the one and thing it, the thief did well really i guess because that was that I, I was that was that was so generous in terms yeah. of like oh if you're standing in shadow it doesn't matter they can be walking right past you and eh, it's fine yeah like so, Splinter Cell, Splinter Cell does the same thing, right? You basically got a little, a little um, meter on you that yeah. shows you exactly how light and dark you were, um, and that I think that worked quite well. Um, but it, I did, I did do something similar in the Swindle, but it just, I don't know, it just didn't work. It wasn't that sort of, it wasn't that sort of game where you could hide behind a crate, mm. right? So, so, so the the light meter thing just just didn't work. And the new version's much, much more satisfying. I suppose at this point I should probably mention that the Swindle is a stealth platformer. Um. Yeah, we've done this the wrong way round all the time, haven't we? Oh, it's it's like record a podcast first thing in the morning. Yeah, I listen, I listen to questions and at no point does it say, what is the game? Um, yeah. Dull. Uh, well, I'm sure people who are listening to this are listening to this because they are interested in the Swindle um, or on a commute or one of those two things. <laughs> Um, now, uh, you know, you mentioned that a lot of this, this came from, uh, playing Spelunky in the time between the old Swindle and the new Swindle. Yeah. Uh, what other elements other than procedure generation did you steal, uh, wholesale from Spelunky? Uh, uh, I don't know. I think, I think Spelunky basically, uh, it was, it was one of these weird things that I was, I was sitting there playing it and I, cause the, the topic of procedural generation, procedurally generated levels had come up before. Mm. And um, sort of been dismissed as a bit too hard to do in, yeah. in this style of game, um, and I, I, you know, I, it, it was one of those things that actually you looked at the buildings that the swindle was in the in the old version. I was looking at the buildings, thinking, God, I could never write an algorithm that would create recreate this building. That's too hard mm. um, because it was because it was so hand built. It was so realistic, right? It was. It wasn't tile based, so um, things would have a variable length. You know, a staircase might be, uh, I don't know, two meters long. It might be one point seven meters long. It might be whatever, three point two. Yeah. Um, it didn't have that rigidity of a tile based uh, system, and I think playing Spelunky basically um, made me realise that. Hang on, if I if I'd made a tile based procedure, if I'd made a tile based game. Doing procedurally generating the levels would be a lot easier, um, and I think you know just basically building a load of rooms and connecting them with corridors would work with the existing gameplay quite well because it's got that sort of like although it's a side-on building, um, it's essentially like a top-down roguelike. Um, right. I, I was going to ask. I was wondering about because because obviously Spelunky has effectively sixteen rooms in each yeah. level, and it and it just chooses ones that are you know going to connect it up, and then it tweaks them slightly. Yeah, so, exactly. So, so you have effectively uh, a whole shit ton of prefabs rooms, and then you connect those with corridors procedurally. Is that the kind? No, of... that's not. No, no, no. That's not oh. what happens. That's what. That's sort of what Gun Monkeys did actually. Was um, was sort of. Uh, a similar way to Spelunky was like sort of clobbering together um, uh, prefab rooms. The the Swindle's much more dynamic than that in that it basically sets up, up a tile map um, of tiles uh, sort of in a rough sort of building sort of shape, a re rectangular shape. And uh, it then sort of digs out rooms. So it'll say, have a room here, room here, room here, room here. 
uh, and then it then it then connects. So it's sort of it's sort of subtracting from the sort of play-doh, if you like. It's sort of uh, tunneling out rooms, and then it tunnels out corridors, and then it removes all the unnecessary stuff to make a little from the top to make a little roof. So it actually generates buildings in a in a. There's there's no sort of um, predefined chunks if you if you put it okay, that way. Okay, that's because because that's that that to me sounds like a very difficult thing when you have to maintain navigability in a top-down game not a problem but obviously uh, a 2d platformer so do you i mean is that a case of you just empower the player enough that they can get around the issues yeah so so when you start with a new thief one thing that the thief is always capable of doing is um uh climbing walls so basically you strip you know you strip out when you when you first start the game you've got nothing right you've got no um tools you've got no upgrades you've got no special abilities you haven't got double jump you haven't got an answer but one thing you do always have is the ability to wall grab and wall climb hmm. so um it's very very unlikely that you will ever uh get stuck because of the because of the way the level geometry is made yeah um and i actually spent quite a long time uh trying you know because it is possible to get stuck in a room it is possible to sort of slide down a corridor um, and get in, get yourself into a position that you can't then get out of. Yes. And I spent a lot of time thinking, well, that's no good. I can't have that. I can't have that because that's annoying. And spent a lot of time trying to code around it. And actually, I realized that's kind of cool that when you're, when you're navigating around the level at first, you're being so cautious not to be seen and you're being so cautious... Um, about you know your your position in the level that sometimes you drop you're not thinking and you drop down into a room that you can't get out of and you have to kill that you have that all the all the thieves have this sort of uh, implant in their brain that explodes you can explode and kill off the and kill off the guy yeah it's actually quite and it actually makes it actually adds a little extra layer of danger in those early stages that um, you've got to be mindful of where you're going yeah um, and I, and actually I left it in because it just sort of it felt more interesting to me to have that that possible fail state where you just go, oh, shit, I'm a terrible thief. <laughs> I've just I've just dropped down into a room that I can't get out of again. Um, and then obviously, as the game goes on, you get like uh, double jump, triple jump, quad jump skills um, that you can always you can basically always get out of every room. You can always bomb your way through a wall and all that sort of stuff. But in those early stages, you've kind of you're kind of naked and bare in a in a lot of ways, right? You're kind of vulnerable, um, and you've got to be. You've got to be a little bit careful, and I think that I think that kind of works better in a lot of ways. But like you know, Splunkly had the same thing. You could you can easily just spunk all your ladders and um, oh yeah, and get stuck it and get stuck and have to kill the guy off. And I think as long as it's as long as it's a rare occurrence, it's not like a constant um, annoyance. Uh, then it actually works in in the game's advantage. And I think I think the fact that if you write it into the fiction like you've done, that that helps. And also the fact that well, it's just one level. It's not it's not like there was anything past this level that you're not going to see anyway because there's always the next day's job. Yeah, yeah. So it's got it's got that thing of um, you know when you die and you will die a lot because it's a it's a tough game, mm. um, like a deliberately tough like tough game. You know, almost like. Um, Sort of hotline Miami sort of way at first when you're when you're when you're first learning the rules because I'm trying not to explain anything to you I'm trying to let you learn the rules on your own kind of like Fez did right yeah. but it's got that thing where you die and then you can instantly press the button and there's a new level and the new and you're bang and you're back in the game and you press the button you're back in the game press the go and it's so it's got that sort of it's got this really satisfying thing where you know if I, when I'm watching people play it um, I was watching someone the other day and um, 
they died and just started hammering the A key to try and get it to, you know, it's like, ah, no, damn it. And like hammering the A key to try and get the level to load quicker. Yeah. Um, and it's, and that was, that was really satisfying that you, you, that it's got that mechanic. It's got that sort of drive to keep on, you know, I want another go at this. I want another go at this. Now you have, uh, cause you've got like an overarching thing where there's this, uh, effectively sort of a hundred day limit. Um, yeah. Now, uh, are you not slightly worried that you're going to get yourself into a Pikmin situation, like with the original Pikmin, where you have 30 days, and then people get towards the end, and they're like, well, I have no fucking chance. <laughs> no, there's there's systems in place to get around that. So when so basically, the idea is you've got an airship that you um, run all your operations from. Hmm. And every time you go back to your airship, there's this sign that says 100 days. This is all up in the air. This might not make it through, but this is how it works at the moment. Hmm. Is There's a sign that says 100 days remain. And like 99 days remain, 98. Every time you come back, it goes down by one. And so there's plenty of days to sort of dick about and get killed and ruin things and all that sort of, you know, get in a mess. Um, you can buy, you can sort of set, you can set up a um, an upgrade to your airship that um, basically lets you buy more days. So you can interfere with, um, the idea is that there's this, uh, artificial intelligence that the police are about to turn on that's going to ruin your job. So you, you're, uh, it's going to have the AI is going to have 100% surveillance over London, which is going to basically make your job as a thief exceptionally difficult. So the, mm. your, the idea is you're going to steal it before they turn it on. Um, but you can then disrupt their um, their progress with the AI um, so that you can buy more days, basically. But it's going to be a costly affair. So um, you, if once you're down to like five days and you, you so you. So you've got five days left and you've got like 10 grand in the bank. Do I spend that 10 grand on um, some upgrades so that I can steal some more money? Do I spend that money on disrupting the AI so that I've got more days available and all that sort of stuff? So there's this little bit of sort of ex sort of resource management going on. And actually, like days remaining sort of becomes your uh, most valuable resource over money, which is nice. And do, I mean, to, to draw another parallel with XCOM, do you then, at certain points of the game, do you basically get the option to go to Cydonia and and try and destroy, you know, steal the, the AI? Or is it yes. a case that that always happens on day zero? So no, no, no. That's basically the end game is, um, is stealing the AI. And at the moment, that option is basically available to you throughout. Mm. Um, but there are certain criteria you've got to fulfill in order to take on that mission successfully. So... Um, you've got to, you've basically got to have enough cash in the bank to um, fulfill that criteria and then get to it. So while it's available to you from the start, you won't be able to do it until you've until you've done a few heists and made a bit of cash. Right, right, okay. Now, uh, one of the joys of stealth gaming, uh, especially games with you know, uh, purloining, pilfering, and person hatching, is finding secret stuff. Do you have? Do you are you able to sort of hide things that are side on game? Do you have like a, effectively like a fog of war so that if you are able to blow yourself through walls, you can find like a little hidden room? Yeah, I'm t I'm toying with that. The the it's difficult because um, when you when you finish a level, you get a, like a rating of how much of the cash you've stolen out of that level, right? Mm. So, and if you get over ninety percent of the cash out of the level, your XP your that that thief's XP increases, and so on future runs, you'll get a, it's basically like a multiplier. So, if there's a thousand pounds in in available in the uh, in the level, and you your thief's got a, a a double multiplier because he's done so many successful missions, then that thousand pounds becomes two thousand pounds, right? So mm. it's quite difficult to suddenly start adding in 
secret bits of cash because that's quite annoying to not find it. Right. Yeah. If you say say you haven't got bombs and you needed bombs to get to the secret bit of cash and you and you clear out every every inch of the level, but because you haven't got the bombs, you don't see that extra bit of cash. It, that's kind of annoying. So I'm toying with like how to put extra stuff in that's not money. <laughs> um, but it's starting to get a little bit. Um, I don't know. I I worry about I worry about bloating the experience. I worry about yeah. just chucking loads of stuff at it, uh, kind of unnecessarily, a little bit. Um, so I'm toying with a, I'm toying with a few things. I, I understand these things are satisfying, and secret areas are always brilliant to find. But it's a way, it's finding a way of doing it that's not um, unfair to the player. Because because it's a because it's a it's a set up um, uh, mission structure, right? You sort of know what you're getting yourself into every time you go into the level. You've got a build, or you've got a building to rob, mm. and I think hidden areas kind of um, dilute it a little bit. I'm so it's. it's, it's it's basically a balancing act of, of finding a nice way of doing it, which I'm not sure I've done yet. Right. My advice, secret valuables that you then sell afterwards. Therefore, they do not factor into the cost. That's quite clever, actually. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. yeah. After, you know, like a black market thing. Because it was one of my yeah, favourite things. My favourite thing in Resident Evil 4 was the fact that, you remember, you'd be able to find, like, um, treasures and stuff like that, and then you could sell them to the shopkeeper. But then but then when you got, like, you know, three, you could actually combine them into more valuable sets. And I I loved that. There was this weird thing about, yeah, just, oh, look, if I put these three gems into this cup, it becomes a super valuable cup. And I know that's probably taking things too far, obviously, but that was just something I found incredibly satisfying, personally. Resident Evil 4 is one of those games that everyone bangs on about, and I played it, and I thought it was sort of all right. And quite annoying, and everyone goes on about what an amazing example of perfect action adventure gameplay it was. And I thought it had a dreadful plot and dreadful acting. Obviously, you know, Resident Evil, obviously, so it's bound to have dreadful plot yeah. and dreadful acting. But I just thought, I just thought it was really boring like, all the way through. And like, and and it's it's sort of um, example of horror was basically look at this giant monster. It's got mm. tentacles and an eye, and <laughs> and it's like, right, that's not really. I replayed it recently. Scary or interesting, and he's just a dick to shoot at. I don't know. Yeah, no, no I, I tried playing it recently, and it has the worst controls. <laughs> they are just dog shit on PC. And and thing is, the PC that's the you know the optimal version of it, and it is fucking awful now. And that's it's sad that is. Um, so with regards, you know, you mentioned that you got like hacking in there. Is that just a case of it's always holding down a thing, uh, a button, until you've hacked it, or do you sometimes have to find codes elsewhere in the level, or? It was quite until quite recently. So there's a hack skill upgrade that you can um, you can buy. So uh, your thief can hack more things. Um, so obviously it's sort of, you know, like a system shop two sort of thing. You know you haven't got the hack skill to do this yet. So at first you can hack sort of computers, um, and then you can sort of start to turn their systems against them. So you can you can hack drones, and the drones then become friendly and attacking baddies and all this sort of stuff. So. And you can hack, you can start hacking their security systems, which take down their cameras and, and, and various bits and pieces like that. And until recently, it was just a case of holding down a button. Um, but it felt like there, it sort of felt like you weren't really doing anything. And it is, I, you know, I asked several people, and I think I asked on Twitter when I was making the swindle before, is like, do you want, a, would you want a mini game in that hacking? Mm-hmm. And like 50% of people come back and say, no, a mini game for hacking would be shit. And 50% of people come back saying, yes, just holding down a button, I feel disconnected from the process. <laughs> um, 
So you sort of look at it, it's, it, it is really is one of those sort of split things that um, people really don't like it. So I've, put, I've basically put in a system which I think works, which you hold down, you basically just hold down a button to hack. Um, but during that hack, you might get bad sectors, and it just gives you a prompt to press up, down, left, or right um, while you're hacking. Um, the, 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 the hack basically stops until you respond with a button press. And that feels kind of nice because it's it, it removes the... Um, self-assured element to it there's you know you could have a um a computer underneath a security camera yeah and with the old system you could basically go okay i know that if i get to that computer and start hacking my hack speed is quick enough that that camera won't have swept back to me uh, in time but with this new system you haven't got that sort of self-assuredness it makes it much more tense and exciting to be standing there in front of a computer yeah. with a with a camera sweeping towards you and you're pressing and, and suddenly you get a bad section and you've got to press respond with a button press it makes it much more exciting but that, 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 sound, that sounds really nice that it works well and then and then obviously that you can upgrade your skills so um it happens less and less so when you're first when you're if you've got a when you're first playing and you've got a a shit thief with a shit ha- who's a shit hacking skill. Um, it happens quite regularly. It's like this little sort of tense mini game. But as the game goes on and you get further and further in, it gets increasingly rare. So um, eventually, by the end, it's sort of hold down a button. Your your hack speed is so quick that hacking is basically uh, a non-event in a, in a lot of ways. It's it's that quick mm. um, because because it just it just it's one of those things that would get annoying after a while, right? It's a yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think that's nice to be able to buy your way out of those kind of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I should put in. I should put like a free to play model in. It's just that actually, <laughs> actually, it's actually it's two ninety nine to uh, to get out of the shit mini game. <laughs> so uh, this time round, are you uh, are you thinking of hiring another famous comedian to to do VO for it? I don't know. It's it doesn't need. Um, Kevin Eldon was great in in Gun Monkeys. He he worked perfectly because. The game had this. Uh, he, was, he was basically the narrator for the game, so mm. he would um, he talked you through the tutorial, and then during your first few games, he would um, uh, chip in with bits of advice. You know about if you picked up a power up, he'd tell you what the power up does the first time and all that sort of stuff. And um, having him involved worked really well because he was um, it was a very specific role that wasn't um, a character, if you like. I think I personally I sort of I sort of feel like if you're going to do voice acting it distracts to have famous people sort of do it in a lot of ways it's mm. sort of you you you're as a as a as a small indie developer you having having people do voices for your games that are well known suddenly that I find that quite difficult to 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 think oh that character is you know, say I've written a say if I'd written Dan and Ben, for example, and then we did Dan and Ben three and voiced it and got Stephen Fry to voice Dan. Yeah, right. You'd so you wouldn't that wouldn't have the same impact as if I just got some unknown actor to do it. I I, I think. I think also my, I think having an unknown actor because because people probably have at that point they've got an idea of what their voice is in their head. And, yeah, and and it, and it wasn't Stephen Fry. Uh, no, no, but but like even if it was okay, even if it was some let's say the AI. If I voice the AI for the Swindle, which I think is going to be the only is probably going to be the only voice because it's not a plot driven game. Yeah. Um, but I think the the AI might wind up having a voice at the end. Hmm. And if I'd done if I had Stephen Fry for for that, that immediately pulls you out of the game. That immediately sort of says. 
this is Stephen Fry's voice and you stop listening to what he's saying and mm. suddenly it's Stephen Fry. And I think for acted characters, it doesn't, it loses a little bit of impact for me having it as a famous person. So that, so I think the swindle will probably have, probably won't be, I can say this and then suddenly, yeah, I don't know, someone famous will drop me an email saying, hi, I'd like to do some voice acting for the swindle. I really like your games. And I go, okay, thanks. Simon Pegg, Simon Pegg emails me and says, oh, I really like that and Ben Games. Like, can I do the voice in your next one? Yeah, I'm totally going to set up a fake Google account and do that to you just to see. <laughs> and this is what happened. Yeah, but it's, it's yeah, so it's weird. I don't at the moment. I don't think anyone. I would I would put anyone famous in it for those reasons. Um, also, I mean, you, you. I mean, because you, you live in uh, London, right? No, I don't anymore. I oh, moved out. Of London. I'm down in I'm down in sunny Dorset now. Oh, blimey! Okay, yeah, so I live yeah, in the field. I live. I properly live in a like. Uh, my house is 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 surrounded by fields. I, I pretty much live on a farm. Oh right, because I was thinking that you could just jump on the tube, go to Fitzrovia, throw a rock, and hit a sound recording studio. But no, it's miles away now. I'd have to get on a choo choo train and way oh, no. down. Uh, you know, it's yeah, it's, that sort of thing's become a lot harder. But it's fine. It's just it's just like an added cost to to doing it, right? It's just a it's yeah. it's, it's a nice process, and you, and you you know when you do you know, I, you know. You need to do it properly when you do voice acting. I've always done, you know, all, all through, like, when, on the stuff I've done, I've done, you know, Privates and Gun Monkeys and, um, you know, when I did it, I was a TV producer beforehand and I've done a lot of sort of short films and all that sort of stuff. And it just does, you can't do it. You can't do it in your house on a microphone. You've got to hire a studio with a sound technician and get it done professionally. It just makes such a massive difference. Yeah. Um, and, and getting and and you know casting actors and finding someone who's really good to do it and finding that finding that gem that you know when we did um, when we did Privates the guys you know all the characters who in Privates were um, just sort of jobbing actors but uh, you know I, I probably went through like five thousand um, applicants at least Fuck. List, like listening to each and every um, one of them you know you you when you do casting calls you put a casting call out and you say you say something like okay this this guy's called um, the captain, or whatever. He's a, you know, he's a sort of fifties grumbly, um, you know, war veteran. Mm. And then um, you get, and you put put a casting call out, and you get actors just sort of saying, "Hi, my name's Ian. I'm a seventeen year old. I want to apply for the role of the captain, or whatever." Here's my voice reel. It's hello. And then, um, you know, my, hello, I'm a sort of um, 22-year-old woman. I'd like to apply for the role of captain. You know, so you've got to sort of sit and sift through, like, so many that you just sort of go, no, 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 it's not right. Not right for the role, not right for the role. Um, and then of the ones that come through that are of the right age range, you know, you then got to um, sit and listen to all their showreels and make sure they, you know, find people who can actually act. And and the guys that who did the privates I was really pleased with, they were all so good. Um, mm. They were so... Um, I don't know what the word is. They were, they, you know, they, they were all just so um, keen to, to to get involved. I guess kind of helps, but they're all such good actors, and it makes such a massive difference. Yeah, um, getting proper actors in and getting a proper recording studio. So I'm surprised that you actually did all the voice casting stuff because I mean I, I, I'm fortunate in that in, well it's fortunate in some ways that I work for like you know a big company and therefore voice casting on the games that we've done is a case of we we contact you know side and they get in a bunch of actors right. who are, who they've already sort of whittled down and they yeah. know you can do the job. 
that's probably that's probably more expensive than I could afford. I mean, because I yeah. I used to do I was a TV producer, so that was my job. Was like um, maybe that's why I did it. That's why I've always done it. Is that um, you know I was making I was making videos, and my job was basically to put out casting calls and uh, you know get people in for voiceover and all that sort of stuff. So when it came to doing privates, it didn't really feel like a a massive leap in terms of in terms of the job, as far as I was concerned. It was yeah. just a case of. Um, I, you know, is sort of doing what I'd what I'd been trained to do in in television. So, um, yeah, no, I don't think I. You know, you want to. That's the joy of being an indie developer is you sort of get your hands dirty on all sorts of things, right? You do the programming, you do a bit of art, you're suddenly making sound effects, you're uh, casting people, you know, you're doing the PR. <laughs> you know, it's it's all the jobs basically. Yeah, it's like a boot camp. It is. Um, so uh, are there any other aspects of it that you particularly would like to uh, mention or anything like that? Because here's the thing. I run out of questions. Oh, I don't know. I think we've covered literally everything to do with the swindle. It's, it's one of these weird things that I've um, I've sort of gone a little bit Molyneux and started talking to people about things that are ideas rather than yeah. Um, are yeah, actually I, definitely in the game. Right. But as long as you preface that with these are ideas as opposed to it's definitely going to have a dog that will make you cry and also the dog can sing. Um, like Molyneux would. Yeah, I know, but that doesn't work, right? That doesn't. That's not what happens. Is you release a game and then suddenly they go, "I thought you said there was going to be this AI you had to steal." <laughs> you know, people people won't, won't um, remember that I said, "Hold your horses." This is all. This is all kind of a little bit up in the air. So I'm sort of a little bit worried about saying too much because. Um, well, so what I'll do then is I will have a piece of music that will play in the background of all bits where it's fanciful, <laughs> where, right? where it's not real. Yeah, no, exactly. I've done stupid the, things um, like that. Get the um, uh, the Tony Hart music to play in the background. Get a do 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 and then just play that every time I'm sort of talking about something that's just pie in the sky bullshit. Here's the thing, that would cost me money, so it's more likely uh, yeah. to be me going doing the Tony Hart music. Sing- you're gonna have to cut out me singing it because that will cost you money as well. Uh, really? Do you think? No, uh, uh, well, no, it would do, but you did a really bad version of it, and I'm not sure even the lawyers could argue that it was the Tony Hart music. <laughs> Fine, okay, good. Um, uh, great, okay, well, thank you so much. Uh, uh, pleasure, thank you this. very much, that's very good. That's, that's all right, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you joined it. Thank you. Nice to speak to you. <laughs> nice to speak to you, bye-bye, Dan. Bye-bye.